All right. Let's jump into Ecclesiastes. This is the last week of Ecclesiastes. I hope you guys are prepared and buckling your seatbelt. You might be going, oh, good, we're finally, finally done. Solomon's so depressing. He's going to be depressing for just a second this morning, and then we'll um, see some other greater things. So we're looking at chapter 12, and uh, he's going to basically summarize everything for us that he has looked at. If you remember, he's on this project to find what is meaningful in life. He's tried out everything under the sun, and he says it's all meaningless, but that a life given to God can find true contentment and joy. And then he says this in Ecclesiastes 12.1. He says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What Solomon is trying to tell us here is that he wants us to find God before we get too old. In other words, as we're looking at this, he wants us to find God while there's still time. Okay? Easy for us as youth to think we got lots of time, we can go do a lot of things, and then maybe we'll one day circle back around and, and consider God and get serious about Him. But Solomon's saying, look, don't delay, old age is coming, and it's kind of difficult, and you may not care anymore by the time you get there. Last week in Guatemala, I turned 45. Woo! It's not that old, but it is halfway to 90, right? When you look at it that way, can't do all the things I used to be able to do, right? Um, but still seeking the Lord. And I might add that also, he's saying, look, don't miss God before you get old. But he also wants us not to miss God because he knows that all the great enjoyments of life actually come from God. He's told us that. So he's saying, don't miss him because you don't want to miss him for eternity. But don't miss him now, too, because if you really want to enjoy life, all the good things of life, they're best enjoyed through God. In fact, enjoyment of things comes through God. The God that created all the things that we enjoy, he knows how to best to enjoy them, and he actually gives us enjoyment of these things. In fact, as Psalm 16:11 says, you know, at God's right hand is the fullness of joy and pleasures forever more. And so he's saying, look, youth, run to God now. If you want the fullness of joy, run to him now so that you can enjoy all things to the fullness that they can be. In fact, it's the old lie of the devil that says you can get better things apart from God. That's what he sold to Adam and Eve. If you'll just run your own life, you can get more and better things apart from me. And Solomon says that is not true. In fact, it's just the opposite. As you run to God, the things that God has given you, he gives you the power to enjoy them as you enjoy him. In fact, last week as we were traveling around, Kevin and I looked at each other and we're like, man, it's just so cool that we get to do this, right? We get to enjoy God, we get to enjoy these people as we seek the Lord. We get to enjoy all these things that come from him. And even if we have no pleasure in our days, we walk our days out with God, we can have joy. So, there are those that are seeking God, and it's never too late to come to Him. He's saying, look, come while you're young, but if you're here and you're a little older and you go, man, I'm really looking for God, Solomon say, there's never, a, there's never a wrong time to come back to God and begin enjoying Him 
in all of his things. So if that's you, then give your life to Christ, right? Make him Lord. Confess him as Lord and begin walking with him today. It will change your life. That's Solomon's message to us. And so Solomon wants us to find God in our youth so that we don't miss out because of the hardships of life, but also that we would enjoy life with God. Now, he goes on to give us this description of old age. So this is for everyone that's getting a little older in the congregation this morning. He gives us this metaphorical description of his body falling apart, and we'll kind of note some things along the way. It's not pretty. Uh, Here's what he says again in verse 1, and then we'll read down a little more. He says, Remember also the Creator in, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You know, he's referring to the fact that as life goes on, it seems like it gets darker, right? It begins to diminish. The possibilities will diminish. And it seems like it's getting darker and darker. When you're young, it's kind of like springtime and everything's sunny and there's all these possibilities. But he's saying, as I got older, things started to shrink on me, right? Starts getting darker and darker. You can't do those things that you used to do. You don't dream about the future because you know that it might not be there soon because it's all coming to an end. And he says this in verse 3, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, there he's referring to shaky arms, right? As you get older, sometimes our muscles begin to shake or stooping legs that there's a a physical weakness that comes on uh, as we get older. I've climbed for the last 29 years, I think, since I was 14. And, um, you know, I've never had any injuries. And this year I've been climbing in the climbing gym a lot. And guess what? Tendonitis in my elbows. Where did that come from? Came from the 40s, right? (laughs) Things are not quite what they used to be. Then he says, again in verse 3, and the grinders cease because they are few, meaning your teeth fall out. (laughs) And those who look through the windows are dimmed, here likely referring to like the loss of vision, cataracts, and other vision things that come in our old age. Then in verse 4, he says, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. In other words, he's saying, I don't even want to go outside anymore, right? Gotten to where the world is no good to me. I just want to stay inside. I can't even hear very well. I don't hear the hustle and bustle of the city anymore, the women singing as they work. And then I begin to wake up at the drop of a hat. Birds wake me up. Now, for those of us that were in Guatemala, (laughs) there were some birds that will wake you up in Guatemala. You know, the dogs start at about 10.30 p.m. and go to about 1. Then you get the roosters in there a couple times. And then the birds start at about 4.30 a.m. with other trucks and things. And I always ask Tony, I'm like, how does anyone sleep in this country? Like, it's so loud out there. He says, oh, you get used to it, right? Well, that's what he's talking about, getting woken up by the sound of a bird. Then in verse 5 it says, Then they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. Right? And we've all seen old, older folks around us who begin to get scared of falling. 
being too high, right? And scared of things, just all sorts of things. Our minds become frailer as our body becomes frailer. We've all watched loved ones get more scared and paranoid and, um, as they go through the process of aging. In fact, I, I visited my dad a couple weeks ago in Nashville and he did for his 80th birthday. And it's crazy to see him become old and frail. It's a mind-blowing thing that happens, a scary prospect. Then it says, the, uh, this verse is for Kevin, the almond tree blossoms, meaning your hair gets white, and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. So the, ones, the thing that used to hop around all cool, now it's kind of dragging itself along, right, with white hair. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. He'll get me back later. But this is the experience of getting old. And some of you are like, yep, I'm right there. And some of you over here in these aisles are going, no, it won't ever happen to me. Well, it's coming, right? That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, you ought to find God before you get there. Because those days are hard. And in fact, um, getting old is a hard process. And we need to acknowledge that. In fact, let's be keep people that care for the older folks in our church. This is a countercultural thing to do these days, right? Older people are kind of getting left behind in our culture. But let's be people that care for the older folks in our church. In fact, this has always been a mark of Christianity that they care for the sick and the aged and the dying. And we need to be a community that cares for those that God has given us. And remember that getting old is a privilege, right? It's hard, but it's a privilege. Everybody doesn't get to experience it and walk with God for a long life. And guess what? God also tells you that if you, if you get the, op- the opportunity to be old and walk with Him, then use it for Him. Don't give up before you're gone, right? Saying, use these years. Don't stop living because if you're in Jesus, then there's useful things to do, even if you're old. Okay. In fact, the next couple of verses then tell us where all this degeneration um, is going. You look at verse 5. Here's why we degenerate. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. In other words, he's... Again, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, death is always this big guidepost to living, right? We know that this thing is coming, and he's saying this process in your body and life should remind you that we're all getting old, and we will die, and we will go to our eternal home. The Bible points that the afterlife will be our eternal dwelling place, will continue after death, will be there far longer than we were ever here. And this should shake us up a bit, because we want to make sure where we're going, right? That's a long time to be in a wrong place. And Solomon then gives us a picture of what the end of, this, the end of life looks like. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth, as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. I think what Solomon is telling us here is 
Look, you are a valued item to God. You're a golden, a silver chain, a golden bowl. But what's going to happen that contains your soul and what God is doing in your heart? And yet, when you come to the moment of death, it's as if this thing was smashed on the ground. And your body goes back to the dust that it came from. And your spirit will go to its eternal dwelling place. And 2 Corinthians 4, 7-9 through 9 talks about the gospel within our soul. Our soul and the gospel within it is this treasure in a jar of clay. Right? The same picture that you are a valued item to God that carries your spirit and his spirit together working there and yet it will be smashed on the ground at one point but God cares for us as his believers Psalm 116:15 says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints we see even that Jesus when he lost his friend Lazarus he wept right He hated that this had to happen. Death is not how life was meant to be. We forget this. We go, oh, it's a natural part of life. No, this is an interruption of life. This is not what was supposed to happen. In fact, Solomon points to the cause of this when he says, the dust will return to the earth. He's pointing us back with an echo back to Genesis to say, remember what happened in Genesis? Genesis 3.19 the reason we all die is because God cursed man because of their rebellion against him. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And this is the sad commentary on all humanity that we feel the pain of death. We all know we're going there, and this leads Solomon again. This is under the sun thinking when he says this in verse 12 8 he says look vanity of vanities says the preacher all is vanity if that's all life is that we experience some things and then we suffer through getting old and then we die and we go back to the death back to the dust then it's all vanity it's all meaningless that's life under the sun each person that dies we feel the great loss and don't know what to do about it The life above the sun, right, says in Jesus, your life is not in vain, nor will it ever be in vain. The Bible says this this about those of us that are growing old. It says, look, your life matters and will always matter if it's hidden in Jesus. Look at what Psalm 92, verse 12 and 15 says. This is one of my favorite little verses here about growing old says, the righteous flourish like the tree, or like the palm tree, and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare what, that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. See, we were made to be image bearers of the one true God. And when we invite Christ into our life, we now have given our lives to the Lord and He will reflect His gospel and who He is to the world through you. And that's a job that never ends in this life. Even as your body begins to fail, one of the greatest witnesses we can have as we get old is that we continue to keep the faith 
in the midst of all the hardship of life that comes our way. That's what Jesus did in Psalm 22, right? If you read that whole psalm on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes through all the ways that he's facing the hardship. And yet at the end, he comes back and says, I will keep my faith in you because I know what you're going to do. And as we grow old, one of the best witnesses we can have is to say, I still trust God. He's still true. You ought to follow him. Follow him all the way to the end with me. And those of you that are older in the room, you have a job to encourage the next generation to make the choice to follow Jesus, whether you can walk without a cane or not. (laughs) You are to tell them the story of our God and pray for the upcoming saints that they would be faithful and that they would see you worshiping Jesus all the way to the end. Matthew 24, 13 tells us that the one who endures to the end will be saved. So as you get older, remember your job is to hold the line and believe the gospel and witness to the faith that can be found in Christ all the way to the end. I can think of great saints in our church that have already gone on, like Wayne Tuttle, who was an original member here and served the Lord here as a worship minister for many years. Then when he couldn't do that anymore, he mowed the lawn until he was about 93. (laughs) And he worshiped God the whole time, right? And Jesus, your life is not in vain. It's not in vain because Jesus raised from the dead and promises us that we will raise from the dead if we are in him. In fact, Romans 6, 3 and 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is always hope for the Christian, even as you get old, that one day you will raise up with God to new life that will last forever. And so Solomon says, in light of all that, find God while you're young. Find Him while there's still time to find Him. Give your life to Christ so that you can be a witness for Him and have hope for all of life, even as things get really hard. So let's help each other persevere along the way as we get older. Now, in light of the seeming vanity of life and impending death, Solomon's going to give us a summary, right? I've seen it all. I've considered it all. And here's what, here's what you need to do, okay? And here's how we should live now. He says, we're going to fear God and keep his commandments. Look at verse 9. He tells us a little bit about a little narrative here, and then he'll give us that command. Verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with care. Again, I think a witness that Solomon was the writer of Ecclesiastes. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Probably the Song of Solomon was his words of delight, which our parenting class is like so glad that we're not teaching anymore. But um, then he says this in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, which is like an animal prod, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Making many books, there is no end, 
and of much study is a weariness to the flesh. And everybody of a PhD said, Amen. Many books are too, too no good. But he's saying, look, wisdom, godly wisdom, is like a prod that, that moves you along, or it's like a big guidepost that you can hang things on. And so you need to get God's wisdom so that you can navigate life. We know that these wisdom books are not promises that everything will go right, but they show us the, the general trajectory that when we do these things, generally these results follow. And so we want to be those that get godly wisdom. And Solomon says an interesting thing here. He says that wisdom is given by one shepherd. What's he pointing to? I think he's pointing to the fact that all true knowledge comes from God. All truth comes from God. And he is the one that can lead us and guide us in truth. John 1, 1 through 5 then tells us that Jesus is the very word of God. Given to the world to be light to men in darkness. So he's saying if you want to find truth, then look at Jesus He's the very word and truth of God that we can follow. In fact, John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Come and follow me. So if you want true wisdom in life, want to know what's worth giving your life to, let's listen to the one good shepherd, the very word of God, who is Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves then, have we put Christ's word in our heart and mind, right? We start with His Word, the Bible, we read that, and we learn it, and we hide it in our heart, and it allows Him to shepherd us. Now, Ecclesiastes 12, 12, He also warns us that there's lots of other wisdom out there, lots of other worldly wisdom, and you can get yourself all sorts of caught up in reading all sorts of books, but He says you ought to cling to the one shepherd, right? Don't get sidetracked on all of these things. And so we submit ourselves to the Word of God. We let it be our authority. We sit under its teaching. We let it critique us, and we don't critique it. We allow God to teach us. Now, here's what he says in verse 13 and 14. He says, The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So let's take his, his commands here. Two parts, fear God and keep his commandments. What does it mean for us to fear God? I think we've lost a little bit of this as believers in Jesus in our day and age. In fact, I think a, a healthy fear of God is something worth recovering for the church and for many believers because part of what he's saying is a reverent fear of God will motivate you to walk in his ways. Okay, It's not the only thing that motivates us, but it's part of what motivates us. Yes, God is loving and shows us grace, but he is wild and untamed and infinite and eternal and holds your very beating heart in his hand. And that is a power and a God to be feared. Right? If he wants your heart to stop beating right now, you're done. And you have nothing that you can do about it. In fact, I also think this is a little bit good as we consider this for our parenting. You know, dads, you ought to be a little scary, right? You'd be loving and compassionate, but a little scary. 
right? So that our kids learn about God themselves. And I think there's a few ways we can learn to fear God. One Solomon gives us in verse, the end of verse 14, he said, you need to know that God knows everything you've ever done, even the secret stuff, good or bad, and one day you're going to have to answer to him for it. That, that scares me a bit, right? There's some things that I don't want to stand before God and talk about, right? Now, we know as believers, we've already talked about him in Jesus is the good news, right? Jesus paid the penalty for those things we did in the closet so that we don't have to go through that at the end. But this is a, this is a fearful thing. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a of a living God, that we would have to talk to Him about our sin and the things we did in life and how we acted and all these sort of things. But it's meant to motivate us to live rightly before God, to find wisdom. And often when we fall into sin, our consciences get seared and we begin not to care who sees or what the consequences are. And Solomon says, if you want to live wisely, then recover a good fear of God. Fear God because He sees. And he is out there. I think creation also shows us what it means to fear God. We can see his immensity and his uncontainable, uncontrollable power that is so far beyond anything we could muster. Right? The sun, this boiling ball of gas, right? That's several thousand zillion degrees, right? That's insane. God's bigger than that. That God made that. The planet's far away. The depths of the ocean. You know, we had this thing this week with the submersible that imploded at 13,000 feet. That's like nightmare stuff right there, right? But our God created the deep ocean, and he's just at home there at the bottom of the ocean as he is in the center of the sun as he is anywhere. That's a terrifying God. Right? These places would freak me out. Furthermore, God made some scary things, like spiders. Like, that was in the mind of God, and he thought, that's a good thing to make. That's pretty cool. That's terrifying. God is a wild Indian. I mean, he's, he's you know, you don't know what he's going to make. And then there's power in storms and ocean waves and earthquakes and I mean, just things that are so far beyond anything we could imagine that are all right in his hands. Right? That's a scary God that we should be in awe of. In fact, I'm always reminded when we get these very random thunderstorms here and it thunders real big and I just go, man, that's God's voice, right? It scares me to my soul. He is big and he is mighty. And I need to respect and revere him as who he is. And yet we also know that God wants to love us and pick us up just like a dad would with his kids. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. In other words, God loves you dearly, and he knows how fragile we are as human beings. And he shows us compassion and love according to how he's made us. This is good news. Could you imagine if we had a bad God? Right? We wouldn't last very long for, for, for sure. 
But we have a good God that cares for us and loves us. And yet he's a little scary. We should let him be a little scary. Then he says to keep his commandments, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now I want to be careful with this command because when we hear keep the commandments, our, our natural sinful hearts, it just it jumps right into religion and legalism, right? Like, oh, I got to do all these things to make sure that, that, that God is happy with me. I got to do things to be accepted by him. And if I don't, he's going to be really mad because he's, he's a big God. It's really easy to think that when you hear these commands. In fact, John 14, um, 15 through 24, the summation of that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? It's meant to be a comforting verse, but often we jump right into the legalism and say, well, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? But the gospel says we don't need to keep rules to make ourselves acceptable to God. Rather, the keeping of his commands is meant to be a response and worship to who he is and what he's done for us in Christ. In fact, Tim Keller has this quote, we may have said it a couple weeks ago, but he says, we are accepted in Christ, therefore we obey. It's not that we obey so that we are accepted. And we often get this wrong when we hear these Things that we got to do the right things to be accepted, and yet it's the other way around. In fact, listen how it's said in 1 John 2, 1 through 6. It says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Now notice the order there. It tells us about the payment of sin that was made first before it talks about us following God and His commandments. In other words, God paid for our sins in Christ and when we ask Christ to be our Savior, we make an exchange of goods here. We give Him all of our sin and we get all of Christ's righteousness. So God then sees us as if we did the works of Christ. He sees us as perfectly holy and acceptable to Him. This is why you can't add anything to your salvation nor take it away because you couldn't have done the works of Christ. And that's how God sees you. And then once we are changed and made holy, like Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 talks about, that we are saved by grace through faith. This was not by works. It was the gift of God to you. And then after you are saved, then you walk in the good works that God had for you to do. Okay? We've got to get the order right. God saved us by grace, apart from what we can do, so that we would respond to Him, who He is and what He's done for us in Christ, with good works. And we call this real life transformation, that God, like He says in Ezekiel 36, would take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that beats for His things, and puts his spirit in us, and it says it will cause you to walk in his ways. In fact, this is what frees us up to follow God. We're free from trying to win his acceptance. It's given to us by grace, and in response we say, God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. How can I follow you with my whole life? And our life becomes worship back to him. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says it this way. 
It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then notice this. It's the grace of God that then trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives, godly lives in the present age. Don't you see, it's the grace of God towards you in Christ that transforms your heart, and it's also the grace of God towards you in Christ that begins to motivate you to walk in His ways. As you realize the magnitude of who He is, how much He loves you, what He's forgiven you of, your heart begins to sing and you just want to follow Him and do whatever He's got for you. So, as we come to a close this morning in all of Ecclesiastes, you know, really Solomon's question to us is, who are you going to follow, right? Are you going to go the way the world says and chase after things to find enjoyment, right? Riches and pleasure and sex and recreation and all of these things. Are you going to make those your God, make yourself your God? Or are you going to submit your life to Christ? And then what you find out is, God created all those things, and actually He's got a great way to enjoy them all. You'll find more joy and contentment when we give our life to God through Christ. So who are you going to follow, right? Who are you going to follow? Fear God and keep His commandments. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. And thank You for Your goodness to us, that You speak to us through Your Word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you as greater and better than anything this world has to offer. Father, forgive us where we have walked astray. And Lord, help us to give our lives to you and then begin to walk in the freedom that we have in you through Christ so that we can enjoy everything as you have intended, Father. Thank you for this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.